This episode is made possible by the generous support of listeners like you. For more information, please visit patreon.com slash author Chris Lester. I strive to make this podcast a safe and inclusive place for my listeners. If I've missed any content warnings, please let me know. Content warnings for this episode include strong language, mature themes, discussions of grooming and abuse, casual ableism, and depictions of drug abuse. You're listening to The Raven and the Writing Desk, the weekly podcast about the writings of Chris Lester and Liminal Corvid Press. This is episode 310. Hello, everyone. Welcome to The Raven and the Writing Desk. I'm your host, Chris Lester. You can learn more about me and my work at chrislester.org and metamorecity.com. Each week, I bring you a piece of my fiction and tell you what's new with my life and my writing. More about that later in the show. But first, let's get to this week's story. Today I'm bringing you Chapter 51 in my Metamore City novel, Making the Cut. If you're new to the show, go back to Episode 259 to hear this story from the beginning. The following recap will contain spoilers. Abby Preston was ten years old when Victor Hincavos rescued her and brought her to live in the Psy Collective. Over the next six years, he carefully and quietly groomed her, training her to see him as her hero, her savior, and the only one she could trust completely. When Victor made his break with the Collective, about seven months ago, he took Abby with him. She would give him what the Hive had always promised him but never delivered, children to call his own. Within weeks of leaving the Hive, Abby was pregnant with Victor's daughter, but life with Victor was far from the storybook ending Abby had imagined. They lived off the grid in the lowest levels of the city, moving frequently to stay one step ahead of the elders and their psyop trackers. And as little Darla's fetal brain developed, two things became obvious. She was a powerful precog and telepath, and she was being tormented by visions of the future that she could not understand. After being on the receiving end of one too many of Darla's psychic outbursts, Abby begged Victor to take her back to the Hive. Life in the Collective wasn't perfect, but at least they didn't have to live like hunted animals, and the Hive's doctors would know how to help a telepathic fetus. Victor responded with fury and violence, throwing Abby against a wall and nearly strangling her in his telepathic grip. He snapped out of his rage a moment later, and was instantly apologetic, but the damage was done. The moment he left the apartment, Abby gathered her things and ran away. Victor has kept Abby isolated, so she doesn't have many places she can turn to for help. Knowing the Collective's fear of mental illness, which they believe can spread through the group mind like a contagion, she doesn't want to risk bringing Darla back to Westfall Academy. There's only one person in Victor's little black book of contacts who seems both potentially trustworthy and in a position to help her. Abby headed out into the winter cold to find Daniel Sharabi. Making the Cut, a novel of Metamore City, written in red 
by Chris Lester. Chapter 51 With a small note of satisfaction, Danny clicked the send button and transmitted her last set of test results to its corresponding physician. Finally, she muttered, gazing with relief at her empty inbox. Even for a Monday, today had been a bitch. She'd come back from the weekend and found five hells worth of work waiting for her. It had taken three hours of overtime, but now, at last, she could get out of here. And start the whole thing again tomorrow, she thought dryly. It's a good thing I like my job. The desk phone rang as she was shutting down her computer. She almost let it just go to voicemail, but she saw the caller ID and recognized that it was coming from the front desk. That usually meant an outside call, so she picked up the phone. What you got for me, Meg? I was just about to clock out. Hey, Danny, Meg said. The receptionist kept her voice low, as if trying to avoid being overheard. I've got a girl down here asking for Daniel. I think she's pregnant, and she's acting really... twitchy. Danny frowned. Rebecca's daughter Lila had been born weeks ago, and Sasha wasn't showing yet. Besides, Sasha worked here. Did she say who she was? Wouldn't tell me, Meg said, sounding frustrated. Said she wouldn't talk to anyone until she talks to Daniel first. She paused. Danny, this kid's maybe 15 or 16 years old. This thing has got abuse written all over it. Danny felt the bottom drop out of her stomach. I'll be right down, she said, her voice suddenly hoarse. Don't let her leave, Meg. Don't think she wants to, but I'll tell her you're on your way. Danny returned the phone to its cradle and headed for the lift, resisting the urge to run. As she rode the car down to the lobby, she put up her mental shields and composed her features in a neutral, pleasant expression trying to imitate the control that came so easily to Fiona. On the inside, though, her thoughts were spinning. She came to me. She finally got smart and left him, and she came to me. If I can bring her back into the hive... Prophet, help me, she whispered. Don't let me screw this up. The lift doors opened, and she strode out into the lobby with careful, deliberate steps. Sure enough, there was Abby dressed in several layers of shabby clothing, with a purse and a small overnight bag on the chair beside her. She was trying to look casual, and failing miserably at it. Pregnancy had thickened the baby fat on her heart-shaped face. Her hair had been dyed and cut short, and it hung limp and matted on either side of her face. Her large, expressive eyes, once bright with the optimism and enthusiasm of youth, now looked haunted and careworn. She looked up at Danny as she approached, and Danny saw in those eyes the wisdom that was born in hardship and pain. Those weren't a child's eyes anymore. Danny expected to feel Abby's mind touch hers, but the girl just stared at her intently. Danny knelt in front of her chair and smiled. Hello there, she said softly, in what she hoped was a friendly tone of voice. I'm Danny Sharabi, Daniel's other half, I guess, she said with a chuckle. Abby leaned in close and looked her in the eyes, her face deadly serious. 
Reaching out, she placed her hands on either side of Danny's face. Danny resisted the urge to pull away. I can't hear you, Abby said, her voice grave and barely above a whisper. You've closed off your thoughts. She paused, considering. I could make you open up, but it's better if you do it yourself. Danny swallowed. Sorry, she whispered. I was trying not to let slip to anyone who you were. She lowered her mental shields, and Abby was inside her head an instant later. Thank you, Abby said through the link. The receptionist told me that you were an androgyne now, but I had to be sure it was really you. She frowned. There are two of you in here now. I didn't know the curse did that. Neither did I, Danny said dryly. It's true, Daniel and I are two different people now, but we both remember you. She reached up and put her hand over one of Abby's. I'll help you however I can. Just tell me what you need. Abby lowered her hands from Danny's face and sat back in the seat. She regarded Danny for a moment in silence. I thought I was going to have to beg you for help, she said, keeping the words safely inside the link. Instead, you begged to help me. Why? Danny looked away, blushing. It's the right thing to do. She felt the stirring of Abby's mind inside hers and suppressed a shiver. You feel guilty, Abby said flatly. You think that saving me is your penance for... Her eyes widened, then turned hard. So that's what he was hiding from me. I had a feeling Victor was a murderer, but I couldn't be sure until now. Danny stared up at her in astonishment. He hid something from you? How? Abby shook her head slightly. I don't know. It doesn't matter. Right now the only thing that matters is keeping Darla safe. Darla? Danny asked, gesturing at Abby's belly. Abby nodded. You should know what's going on. Then she opened the link wider, and a flood of memories poured into Danny. It happened in an instant, but the force of it drove Danny back onto her ass. Faster than an eye blink, she knew everything Abby had suffered. The months of isolation, the slow estrangement from the man she had once loved, the panic attacks Darla experienced after her precognitive visions, the terrifying moments earlier today when she had thought that Victor was about to kill her. Tears came to Danny's eyes, and she choked back a sob. My God, Danny said, her mental voice flooded with anguish and compassion. Abby, I'm so sorry. My choices were my own, Abby said sharply. It wasn't your fault or Daniel's. Victor would have done what he did with or without your help. She leaned in close, holding Danny's gaze. I am not your path to absolution, Danny Sharabi. Not with Eli, and not with the Hive. Your sins have nothing to do with me. Danny squeezed her eyes shut, but she couldn't hide from the touch of Abby's mind, or from the truth in her words. Abby was right. Helping her wouldn't bring back Dell and Trace, or excuse Daniel's complicity in helping the vampires. And thinking that she could present Abby to the hive like some sort of prize. She winced. I'm sorry. You're right. I was being stupid. She set her jaw and looked up at Abby again. But I still want to help you. 
because it is the right thing to do. A half-smile played across Abby's face for a moment. She nodded once. Darla needs a telepathic doctor, and I need a safe place to sleep where Victor can't find me. I think he still has contacts inside the hive, so there can't be any record that I'm here. A ripple of fear ran through her thoughts. And I don't want anyone to know who I am until I'm sure that the elders aren't going to hurt Darla. Danny nodded, understanding Abby's reasoning. If the Hive thought that Victor's insanity was genetic, they might mark Darla as a threat. She didn't believe that they would actually kill the unborn child, but she wasn't going to waste time arguing the point with Abby. They needed to get her out of the lobby soon, before someone recognized her. There's a way, she said, rising to her feet. Come with me and follow my lead. Danny walked over to the reception desk with Abby in tow. Hey, Meg. Got a patient for you to check in. Meg flashed a smile at Abby, then turned back to Danny. Sure thing. What's the name? Jenny Bloggs. Meg's expression didn't change, but Danny felt the wave of worry and compassion that radiated from her. Got it, she said, her voice deliberately light. Urgent care obstetrics? Exactly. Abby shot a sideways glance at Danny. She reached down and took the girl's hand, giving it a reassuring squeeze. Meg typed in a few notes on the computer. Is there a particular doctor you'd like her to see? Danny thought about it for a moment. Who's on call for prenatal psychiatry? Meg's eyebrows shot up. I think there's only like three of those in the entire city. Her fingers danced across the keyboard for a few seconds, and she nodded to herself. Victoria Carlyle? She normally works at Soulshore General, but she's on the late shift tonight. I could put in a request for her to come down here when she gets a chance. Please do, Danny said. The residents can take care of Jenny until Dr. Carlyle gets here. And it gives me time to check with Sasha and make sure this doc can be trusted. Abby squeezed her hand, confirming that she'd heard Danny's thoughts. Danny smiled briefly down at her, then signed the paperwork that Meg handed to her. You can take her right up to the desk in OBGYN, Meg said. Drowling is the resident on duty. She'll meet you there. Thanks, Meg. Danny gestured for Abby to follow, and together they filed into the nearest lift. Who's Jenny Bloggs? Abby asked, once the door had closed. It's a code word, Danny said. We use it for abused women who want to remain anonymous. If a man comes to the hospital looking for his wife or girlfriend, the Jenny Bloggs name tells everybody on staff to play dumb. She smiled apologetically. It's not a permanent solution, I'm afraid. Nobody's going to kick you out, but if you stay for more than 24 hours, we have to report your case to Protective Services. She paused. Unless you ask the Hive for sanctuary. Either way, whoever you go to for help is going to want to know who you are. Abby looked up at their reflections on the ceiling of the lift car. So I have to decide whether to trust the government or trust the Hive. Pretty much. The girl sighed, a weary sound that had none of the melodrama Danny would have expected from someone her age. All right. I need some time to think about this. No problem. In the meantime, you'll be safe here. The doors slid open, and Danny led Abby to the obstetrics wing. 
Waiting by the desk was a young resident dressed in sea-green scrubs. Danny gazed with appreciation at her long black hair, dark eyes, and flawless fair skin. Her face had the elegant, patrician lines typical of House Drowling, but her smile was kind and gentle as they approached. Jenny Bloggs? she asked, turning to Abby. The girl nodded, and the resident offered her hand. My name is Morgan. I'll be helping you get settled in. Abby looked questioningly at Danny. It's okay, Danny murmured, putting a hand on her shoulder and giving it a squeeze. I'm going to go find Sasha and see what she can tell me about Dr. Carlyle. I'll check in on you later after you've settled in. Okay. Abby managed a small but grateful smile. Thank you, Danny. Danny smiled back. Anytime. She turned to Morgan. Make sure she gets whatever she needs. And can you have someone call me when Dr. Carlyle gets here? Of course, Morgan said. Her voice was gentle, but Danny could see in her eyes the same determination that she herself felt. No one would hurt Abby again if they had anything to say about it. Danny headed back to the lift as Morgan led Abby into the obstetrics wing. She needed to find Sasha, and fast. The hospital's asylum procedures worked well enough against abusive husbands, but Victor was a sociopath and a hardened killer. Danny hoped that they could keep Abby's presence here a secret, but if they couldn't... Well, arranging for a little extra muscle couldn't hurt. Sasha didn't sense Danny coming until the woman was three feet behind her. That was her first clue that something was wrong. While Danny kept some thoughts to herself, she never put up her size shields unless there was a damned good reason. Her second clue was the expression on the androgyne's face. What's happened? Sasha asked, as Danny slipped into her shared office and shut the door. The other psych residents had already gone home for the day, so they were alone for the moment. We've got a Jenny Bloggs down in OBGYN, Danny said, her expression grave. Sasha sat up, frowning. She was as sympathetic to the plight of abused women as anyone, but it wasn't exactly her field of expertise. Okay? Her unborn child is having visions, Danny said. She might be going mad from them. Sasha sank back into her chair again. Eli, save her. The mother's a teep, I take it? And not all that trusting of the collective, Danny said. They're bringing in Dr. Carlyle from Soulshore to look at her later tonight. Jenny needs some assurance that they aren't going to cut the baby out of her if they decide she's crazy. Sasha shuddered in revulsion at the thought. God, Danny, you know we would never do that. First of all, it's illegal to abort a fetus once its soul is mature enough to be detectable. Second of all, you're talking about a baby that's actually conscious. If that's not murder, it's damned close to it. I know. Danny said, seating herself on the edge of Sasha's desk. But moral concerns aside, since when do mundane laws mean a damn to the collective? Sasha opened her mouth to protest, then shut it again. Danny was right. She was thinking like a foundling again. Even after all these years of living in the collective, there were some aspects of its psychology that could never really be grasped if you hadn't been born into it. The Hive refused to terminate pregnancies because children were the future of the collective, 
not because it cared about imperial laws. Carlyle is a hive loyalist through and through, she said at last. Children are sacred to her. She'll do everything she can to make sure the baby is born healthy and sane, but even if she can't, she won't recommend termination. Danny nodded, satisfied. Good. Would you mind paying Jenny a visit and telling her? I think she'll want to hear it firsthand so she knows you're telling the truth. I'll talk to her, Sasha promised. You have any idea who she is? Danny winced. I do, but she made me promise not to tell. She shrugged uncomfortably. Trust issues, like I said. She hesitated, then added, If you can pull in any of your old PSYOP buddies for extra security, it might be a good idea. The guy she's on the run from is a stone-cold killer. I don't think he'd hesitate to break in here and kill her if he found out where she was staying. Her words tugged at a familiar wound in Sasha's heart. The girl sounded all too similar to Abby Preston, the girl Victor had seduced. Sasha was glad Fiona had told her that Abby was safe with Elder Bakhtavar. She didn't approve of using the girl as bait for Victor, but it was probably the surest way to lure him in. She sighed. Psyops might be pushing it, particularly if you want to keep this low profile. I'll see what I can do, though. Thanks, I appreciate it. Danny cocked her head and looked at her curiously. You okay, Sash? You seem to go somewhere else there for a minute. I'm fine. Sasha rubbed her eyes wearily. I guess I'm just transferring my feelings about the whole situation with Victor and that girl he took with him when he left. I hope they get that bastard tonight, so we can at least put one of these cases behind us. Danny suddenly went very still. Get him? Somebody's trying to get Victor? Sasha nodded. She wasn't allowed to tell anyone that they'd recovered Abby Preston, but she could at least tell Danny this much. Elder Miriam Bakhtavar set a trap for him. She brought in Fiona and Brian to help take him down. Sasha felt the change in Danny's aura a moment before she saw the effects. The androgyne's body shifted, as it had when she and Rebecca had rescued her in Overlook Park five months ago. Danny faded into the background, and Daniel surged forward to the front of their shared mind. For modesty's sake, he stayed with a lean, androgynous form that would still fit inside Danny's clothes, but the hard, hungry look in his eyes was intimidating regardless. "'Where's this going down?' Daniel asked. Sasha hesitated. "'Daniel, you're not field-rated.' "'Fuck that!' Daniel spat. "'Victor betrayed us and murdered two of my friends. I've got a score to settle with that son of a bitch.' He put his hands on his hips, an aggressive gesture that reminded her of Fiona. Besides, I'm one of the few students who was ever good enough to beat him in a sparring match. I couldn't take him on by myself, but as part of a team? Hells yes. He leaned in and fixed his eyes on hers. Where, Sasha? She closed her eyes and sighed. Fiona had said that she needed to take part in the trap because she needed closure. Maybe the same was true for Daniel. And she had to admit, his combat skills probably would be useful. They're meeting at the subway station at Hutchins Tower, she said quietly. If you're going, you'd better hurry. They're supposed to meet in about... 50 minutes. 
she said, checking the clock. Daniel followed her gaze, then frowned. Can I borrow the skimmer? I need to pick up some gear from home, and I don't think I'll make it if I have to take the bus. Sasha wanted to say no, to keep Daniel out of harm's way for Rebecca's sake, but she knew he would never forgive her for it. Wearily, she pulled out her keys and tossed them to Daniel. For what it's worth, good hunting. Daniel showed her a feral grin as he headed for the door. Take good care of Jenny. Tell her I'll be back as soon as I can. I will. And Eli, go with you, Daniel, she added silently as she watched him go. I only hope you know what you're doing. Victor paced back and forth impatiently in the tiny room, as the wizard on the floor sat hunched over a copper basin of water. The bedraggled old man wasn't even looking at the thing anymore, just muttering to himself with his eyes rolled back in his head. The room smelled like piss and stale sweat. Discarded syringes from the man's spellfire habit littered the floor. How much longer, Isaac? Victor demanded, his temper wearing thin. The wizard gave a little gasp, blinking hard. With difficulty, he focused on Victor. She's at a hospital, Isaac said, his voice low and quavering. Ain't secret. She has a friend there who hides her. Victor crossed his arms. Which hospital? There must be dozens in this city. Isaac frowned. Didn't see a name. Dark grey tiles in the lobby. A fountain. He raised a shaking hand and pointed it toward the southeast corner of the room. That way. Victor growled. Damn it, Isaac, I got you what you wanted. You're going to have to do better than that. Isaac threw up his hands helplessly. The muscle tremors left by years of spellfire abuse exaggerated the gesture, making him flop around like a retarded child. It's not a perfect science, Victor. That white fountain, grey tiles, a pie. Third level, I think. Victor took a threatening step toward Isaac, and the man fell over on his back, covering his head. Victor checked himself, letting out a disgusted noise as he eyed the addict in front of him. You're pathetic, he muttered, then turned to leave. Isaac did not respond. Outside, Victor took a deep breath of the comparatively clean air, then headed southeast. He would have preferred more specific directions, but Isaac had given him enough to work with. Before the night was out, he'd find Abby and his child. And if he couldn't have them, no one else would either. And that's the end of Chapter 51. Come back next time when Daniel joins Brian and Fiona in the hunt for Victor, and Sasha has a conversation with the anonymous girl in her protection. Don Roth said, If you treat your characters like people, they'll reward you by being fully developed individuals. So let's see how the people in my head are doing this week. It's time for the weekly writing report. 
This update covers the period of October 30th through November 19th. I wrote 7,295 words in three weeks, over the course of 11.25 hours, for an average writing speed of 648 words per hour. I wrote on 13 out of 21 days. Looking back at the month of October, I wrote a total of 6,501 words in nine days, averaging 722 words per day. That ranks 65th out of 78 months since I started this show. I spent 8.25 hours writing in October. Compared to September, my writing time and my word count both increased by 32%. I fell behind on my podcast production during the month of November, which is why this script is covering three weeks instead of one. However, I did get back into a rhythm working on my Alex story, Out of the Shadows. The story is now just shy of 10,000 words, and my best guess is that I'm around halfway through it. I haven't gotten a whole lot of words written on any given day, but I've been making time to work on it fairly consistently, rebuilding my writing habit after letting it lapse for a good chunk of the year. I also finished designing the paperback cover for Honor of Bellevue, did another story-planning session with Dawn about her Morgan story, Mirrors, and wrote an essay for my church. If you'd like to share your thoughts about the show, send your feedback in text or audio to metamorecityfeedback at gmail.com. To leave a voicemail, dial area code 641-715-3900, then enter extension 255-082, followed by the pound sign. My Facebook is facebook.com slash author Chris Lester. The fan group is fans of Metamore City on Facebook. And our Discord server is Metamore City. I'm there pretty often, so come say hi. If you like this show, please consider leaving a review at Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or Podchaser.com. It really helps people find the show. That's all for this week. I'll be back next time with more fresh new fiction. Until then, keep it on the bright side. This is Chris Lester, signing out. The contents of this podcast are copyright 2021 by Chris Lester and Liminal Corvid Press. The show is released under a Creative Commons, Attribution, Non-Commercial, No Derivatives license. So don't change it, don't sell it, but feel free to share it all you like. For more information about this license, please visit creativecommons.org.